Hi, Wine Delusters, and today we're exploring the Hastings River wine region. Welcome to the Wine Delust podcast. My name's Janine and I run a wine events business in Canberra. But my real passion is travel and my bucket list is to travel to every wine region in the world. In this series, I'll be exploring some regional Aussie wine destinations. I'll give you some tips whether you're planning a romantic getaway, a girls weekend, or you're dragging the kids along. Pour yourself a glass and let's get exploring. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're talking about today, the Birupai people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. So the Hastings River wine region is around Port Macquarie, and Port Macquarie is the quintessential Aussie beach holiday town. There's lots of convenient shops, accommodation, everything from cabins, caravan parks to nice hotels. Port Macquarie is just off the Pacific Highway as you drive between Sydney and Brisbane. You come off the highway and it's a little bit of a drive into Port Macquarie. You go through lots of bush and you also go around lots of roundabouts. And that's saying something from someone who lives in Canberra like I do. The main town area is near where the Hastings River meets the ocean and there's a boat marina there. The Pacific Drive runs along the coast and the beaches there are beautiful. There are lots of cliffs and rocks along the coastline making little alcoves between each beach. It's really quite stunning. But there's also wine in the area. The Hastings River wine region is a small developing area. The main clusters of vineyards are located around Port Macquarie and the next town, Warshop. There's a handful of vineyards and cellar doors and they're all within about a half an hour drive of each other. So a little bit of history on the region. So the explorer Captain James Cook passed along the mid-north coast seeing three mountains that all looked fairly similar and he named them the Three Brothers. But little did he know that the local Aboriginal people had called these mountains the Three Brothers for thousands of years. So these mountains lie in between Taree and Port Macquarie and they have an enduring cultural significance. In the 1820s, this was a place for secondary punishment and then it was open to free settlement in from the 1830s. The first vineyard in the area was Douglas Vale. It was set up in about 1859 by Vignon George Francis. He'd been prospecting near Braidwood, which is a fair way away from Port Macquarie because it's near where Canberra is now. He bought 20 acres of land and he built a cottage and started a vineyard with cuttings called Black Isabella, which are grapes imported from America. So wines from Douglas Vale were actually exhibited at shows in Bordeaux, Amsterdam, Calcutta and London in the 1880s and won some medals. The property was saved in the mid-1990s by a conservation group who now run the winery as a not-for-profit organisation. So you can visit this. The original homestead's still there and open to the public and it's fairly close to the centre of Port Macquarie. The biggest producer in the region is Cassegrain. John and Eve Cassegrain emigrated from France in 1980 and they've got a long family tradition of winemaking all the way back to the 1600s. The cellar door is about 15 minutes from town and it's a really beautiful, it has a restaurant and a lovely tasting room. I met up with Alex, who is the second generation winemaker in Australia. And you'll hear how he's taken a really keen interest in smoke taint research because this region was like the start of the black summer bushfires. They have vineyards all across New South Wales and in contrast with other wineries, they actually did produce some wines in 2020. He gave me a taste of some of the wines and how they're experimenting with, for example, taking the juice from one grape and mixing it with skins from another red grape, not affected by smoke taint to see how that works. So he's a really interesting guy and I'm sure you'll enjoy this chat. 
We are sitting in your beautiful tasting room. So there is a bit of ambient noise around because everyone's busy. I think I looked at your website and there seems to be always um, different activities and events happening. We, we do try and keep a reason for people to come here because Port Macquarie is not a, um, a renowned wine growing region per se. We're quite an old region, but we're not, a, I guess, a, a consist consistent with the Hunter Valley and all those other regions. So we're very much a destination here. So we want to bring people here to enjoy what everything that Port Macquarie has to offer. So always in the vines is always a really, really good one for us. Um, very family friendly. We've, we've also have in the past things like Wildwood, which is a music festival. Four times a year we do our season dinners, which is the release of new wines and pairing with food and degustation. Uh, they're a little bit more smaller and intimate. Yeah, for us, it's all about trying to get people here and, and showcase everything. Speaking of um, the Hastings River region, because your father sort of revitalised the, yeah, the wine so sort of... It started, I think it was in the 1800s, with Douglas Vale being the first uh, winery to, to get going. And then when our family moved here and, and established the winery in... The first vineyard was planted in, I think it was 1980 or 1981, but the winery wasn't open until 1985. The idea for us was to really try and use this as a central hub, but it's also because we're from here, so it made obviously sense to do that. Now, I did read that you guys were one of the first grew, Roshombison first in Australia? Not necessarily the first to grow, or the first to commercialise. Commercialise. So how did you come about to grow that? Because it is an unusual grape variety. It is. It was in correlation with a guy called Richard Smart. And each region, probably you're aware, has specific growing conditions. And certain varieties will suit some conditions better than others. So for us, being quite coastal, we've got a lot of issues with humidity, high rainfall. So because of that, Chomson's actually a really good variety for growing here is, is mainly because one, it's got very thick skin, so it's quite resistant to a lot of mildews or it's better resistant. But also it's got a very loose bunch, which once you get a bit of airflow, the humidity can help dry out and all the moisture can help dry out. So the hybrids from France and, and the Roussoff from America. And it was something that was unknown, but felt that it could grow well here. And you're doing a lot of research around the smoke taint? Oh, I can tell you what we know. Like it, yeah. it's. It, the whole idea of smoke tainting is, is a still very unnerving in, in everything that it has. I think we're all happy that it's going to be a wet year and compared to dealing yes. with a smoke taint year again. But in the past, smoke taint's always been you know, a little bit more localised to certain areas, so it's never been a, um, a thing that we've been able to capitalise on to try and find out you know, where it comes from, how we're going to deal with it, what are the compounds. So at, at the moment, we pretty much know that there's seven known compounds that are associated with smoke taint. We also don't know exactly how they all interrelate with each other well enough to say that yes we can pick one, no we can't pick. The problem with smoke taint is that if it's the, you know, coming up to I guess before harvest, our understanding was if it happened pre-varaison, which is when before the grapes are ripening, there will be little impact from smoke taint. We now know that that's maybe not the case. Oh, right. um, so, but th th these are things we, we learnt on the fly and, and you know we did take some risks. But I guess the unknown thing for us is how those compounds all relate. So we have these grapes, we're testing them, doing bucket samples. Typically as a smoke tank, you can't taste it or smell it as a juice. You have to ferment it, right. which is where the alcohol um, and all the, the yeast fermentation actually achieves all the compounds and releases the compounds into the wine. Thus we can smell it or taste it if it's in those, in those right concentrations. So you almost have to make it before you can taste it. Yeah, yeah. so we, we had a series of you know five kilo, 10 kilo bucket ferments going you know, days before we had to pick. Yeah. Um, 
to try and see if there was any issue there. If we could see it there, then we, we knew full well that we are going to have some problems later the, on. You had the fires come through in the November and then well, you usually we, pick in January? We had we had fires start here in August. August, oh my gosh, yeah. So we are ground, I guess, ground zero for the whole thing with the Linfield fire near the airport, uh, which that continued on until, I think, February when it was declared out. But obviously other regions then spread from there. So, um, yeah, we've had, a, we've had a long, long draw of it. Um, but I guess the, the hard thing for us was that with these bucket ferments making a call just before or just, you know, sometimes we couldn't even complete the ferments before we had to make the call to get the fruit here. But you know, from what we do, you know, we're learning things on the fly as we're going, sending samples away to the AWRI or in essentials, which are laboratories, getting them to test it as quick as they could. Normally that test takes 10 days. They're having to do it in about five. Inundated with frozen fruit and juice and wine just to try and get all the results we could as much information before us making a call. But one thing's for sure is I guess out of all of the outcomes, not speaking back to when we were harvesting, we picked a lot of grapes that we thought were going to be smoke tainted or theoretically should have been smoke tainted that have come through fine. Really? Um, so our 2020 Vidello, which came from a region that was affected by smoke or bushfires, as at the moment been absolutely no problems at all and it's flying through with, with fantastic colours and I think we're only down to our last two or three bottles so it's, oh, right. it's not a product that's been affected by yeah. um, Our sparkling from orange was a very low risk, I guess in comparison to yes. everything else. And it's again flying through with no dramas, our Fiano um, from the hilltops, no problems at all. But there are other varieties from those regions which uh, have either got mild cases of it or severely impacted by smoke taint. But the other unique factor is, you know, how those compounds relate. So some compounds where we've got the results or a score, what we call a total score, of quite high have coming through okay, um, whereas we've got other wines that are quite low, but they're showing smoke taint, and, and we're trying to figure out one is how those compounds that we know about, because I'm assuming there could be other compounds there that we don't mm. know about that are playing an impact. That's where I guess the the work with the grant comes into it with the University of Adelaide and Ligar and and um, VA filtration in Victoria with these different areas we're going to hopefully be able to either physically remove the compounds or, or at least better understand them to say that okay in the future if this happens we know we can do this to remove this or we know we can remove these specific compounds which are the telltale signs of, of the various issues because there are you know different degrees of smoke taint. Oh no that's interesting. Thank you so much Alex for your time that's I really right. really appreciate it. Thank no you. So what wines to try? You heard how Alex's family were the first ones to start Chambasson in Australia commercially, and now you can find that up and down the coast. So as the weather is humid and it can be a bit wet, the grapes need to be disease resistant and these do well. But you'll find lots of other interesting varieties around here. And this brings me to my next guest, Jim from Bago, Maize and Vineyard. When Jim started off, his land was a cropping farm and he had lots and lots of fruit, including grapes, but then it morphed into a vineyard for wine, and now it's a tourist attraction in the area. It is a little off the beaten path, but well worth a visit. And the maze is just amazing. My son and I got a little bit lost trying the challenge of finding both forts within the maze, but there's lots of emergency exit for when it defeats you, uh, like it did to us. Jim tells us about how his family members all have unique skills that they're bringing and putting into the business, which is really lovely. I love checking out unusual varieties of wine and Jim has some really interesting ones here. So I hope you'll enjoy this.
Thank you for joining me. We're in your storage room, so it's nice and quiet out here. We've got the busy and crowds bit, in and there. A bit cooler. Yeah, that's right. I've got the busy crowds out. Everyone's um, lining up to get into the maze and the chocolate shop out there. People enjoy coming out and tasting some wines that are a little bit different to other areas. I was checking that out. You have got some very interesting varietals. There's a couple that I hadn't heard of before. The, the, the really different varieties would be, there's one called Chanel Paradisa. Uh-huh. We're the only ones in the world growing it. So how did you how did you get to be the only ones in the world to grow uh, it? Where did you get the vines that's from? That's a and... really long story. Richard, <laughs> Richard Smart found, a, found some vines on an island in the Pacific, which, which was brought there by a Marcus brother priest, but planted those, but we make a dessert style out of that. Wow, because you established the vineyard here. Yes. So how long, when did you set that up? Oh, I started back in the, the uh, mid-80s. We're a really uh, growing grapes to supply another winery at that stage, but not for ourselves, and that, that evolved into um, the mid-90s. We started putting them into our own label. And so, you've how many different varieties do you grow here? It's about eight. We've pu- pulled a few out because they're not, the, su- not suitable for the climate. So, which ones would they have been? Uh, like? Well, there was Sauvignon Blanc, yep. Petit Verdot, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, they were just, the climate's too wet and humid for those varieties. And you get, they're too prone for disease. So, you've got your Chambersen? Yeah, Chambersen is our second most resi- disease resistant variety, and we've probably got the oldest. Chamberson vines in Australia oh, at right. this stage. I'm not saying we've got the most, but we've still got a fair. We've got a variety called Norton, which is by far the most resistant disease variety. I haven't heard of that. Is that a red or a white? It's a red grape. It's a, it's a lot grown in the Mississippi of the United States. Oh, right. I think there's only one or two other growers in Australia, and we're probably the only ones producing wine at this stage. So I guess Mississippi would be quite humid. I'm, yes. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's similar to here. It's, it is an American hybrid uh, made back in about 1840. Oh, wow. So it was crossed by a Dr. Norton then. So it, it's... But it's, it's a variety that you can only make certain styles. We make a Beaujolais style out of it it's to be made this year and drunk this year and not yep. put away. So it's a, a particular style. Uh, we've got another red variety called Tanar, which is a few other winemakers have got. And it seems to be fairly resistant to disease. And then we've got a couple of the common varieties like Chardonnay and Vidello. Chardonnay's great everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so when you pulled up the other vines, is that where you put the maize? No, no, that that maize originally back in the early eighties that was all raspberries. Oh so right. So we used to grow horticultural crops, so that was all a raspberry patch yep. for ten or fifteen years. So. And so, how long's the maize been there? Uh, it was planted in two thousand six, and it was open two thousand twelve. Gosh, so six years it took to yeah. grow. Well, they only came as like little plants, about less less than a hundred mils high, and now they're. 2.2 metres. Wow. And so is that a lot of um, upkeep to, for the maze? Yeah, it is. But it was, my eldest son, who's a landscape architect, planned it really well. So we do most of it mechanically trimmed. And it's just a little bit of hand trimming in a couple of corners. Because so. how big is the maze? It looks massive. Uh, I've seen aerial it's, shots. Yeah, and... yeah it's it'd be around between two acres, and, uh, two acres and two and a half, which is two and a half acres is a hectare so yeah i think i read it had like two kilometers of pathways yeah. through it yeah well, we know that because there's over <laughs> two thousand plants and they're a meter apart so <laughs> just do the maths yeah. well my son and um is going to go and check it out so i'm going to interview him later yeah. get his um his report on it so 
Actually, with your wines, I noticed that the labels are very pretty, like like Australian oh, right. animals. So, yeah. Where all, did, all did my, they come about? All my family's involved in the business. Oh, fantastic. So my eldest son's a landscape architect who's done the maze, and my youngest son's a winemaker at Orange, too, but my daughter's a designer, uh, mainly in fashion, and she designs prints. Yeah. So she's evolved that with all the, the wine labels, so they're all... Um, all the new labels are of animals mm-hmm. or insects or birds of, of the, around, the surrounding area. So she's in, yeah, just encompassing the feeling of the place. Yeah, and no, they're beautiful and you're beautiful packaging with the yes. black and the... So these are, this, even with the packaging, these, these are actually lily pilly leaves. Oh. And the maze is made out of lily pillies. Oh, fantastic. So it's ties see, in. And the logo is actually a part of the maze. So when my son designed the maze, it's designed, the spirals are designed on the tendrils of a grape. And there's oh, a bunch of, and a bunch of grapes at the other end, so it's it's all tying in with the vineyard and the whatever's here. Fantastic! Thank you very much. So, what else can you do in Port Macquarie? This is also home of the Koala Hospital. It's free to enter, but you do need to register. You can't just turn up. When you go in, each koala has a story about where they were found and what happened to them. Some were blind and some had injuries from the bushfires, so that can be a little bit hard, but it's just so beautiful to see the amazing work that the Koala Hospital are doing there. They also have a breeding program, and the day that we visited, they announced three pregnancies, which all the volunteers were so excited about. Um, You can also donate to them by adopting a koala, and there's links for that in the show notes. Around Port Macquarie is the Hello Koala Sculpture Trail, which has 77 one-metre-high koala sculptures that have been all originally hand-painted by local artists that scatter around town. There's a few of them at the hospital, and there's also one at Casa Grain Winery, and you just keep a lookout around town. But there's also a map and a website that can point you to where to find them. Added a really lovely artistic element to the town. And, of course, there's the beach. The beach is really beautiful, and in summer, it's fantastic to go swimming there. So some quick stats. So Port Macquarie is on the east coast. It's in the mid-north coast of New South Wales. It's about four hours drive north of Sydney and six hours drive south of Brisbane. They do have an airport. It's only a small one and there's flights with Qantas, Fly Pelican and Rex Airlines operating. There are lots of different accommodation options from caravan parks to cabins to hotels. I think the region really caters well to families and groups of friends. We stayed in a cabin in our local caravan park and it was really convenient and comfortable. So I hope you have a really great time checking out the Hastings River region. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. You can also check out this podcast on YouTube and see pictures of the region and the people I've spoken to. Go to windelust.com.au. That's W-I-N-E-D-E-R-L-U-S-T.com.au for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to hear all about my upcoming events and other news. Till next time, happy wine travels.